This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We continue this morning in our uh, series through the unique passages of Luke. And um, my name is Ted Sin. I'm one of the elders here. Glad that you're here. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come to a disorienting text. We come to a passage that is much harder to read, uh, to teach, to preach, uh, even to understand than some of the other passages we've looked at recently. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, uh, that you would teach us, uh, that you would transform us, that you would convert us, that you would make our hearts alive and new, that you would make our hearts more fleshly and less like rock, that you would make our minds more open to you and less suspicious and stubborn of you. Would you help us to see you as the good and gracious and kind and loving God that you are? Jesus, we're going to need you in this passage. We're going to need your righteousness for us. We're going to need your death for us. We're going to need the ministry of your spirit to us to even walk away from this room and not melt in our seats. Jesus, we pray, I pray as the chief of sinners in this room that you would forgive me my sins. So much of my sin is exposed in this passage. Would you forgive us? Would you convince us of your grace? Would you allow us to actually look at dead in the eye and see what it is that you want us to see and hear what it is that you want us to hear and move forward exactly how you want us to move forward? In your name we pray, amen. All right, it's a fascinating passage this morning. If you're familiar with the Bible, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you're probably somewhat immune and anesthetized uh, to what's going on in this, in this passage. Uh, this story is incredible. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to the historic Jesus that is presented in the Bible, um, I, I think you're caught off guard by this text. And my guess is that, that uh, you're maybe even shocked by this text The story, if you have your Bibles with you and you open to Luke 11, the story actually goes from verse 37 all the way down to verse 54. And in that text, Jesus absolutely shatters the paradigm of what we generally think about him. Okay, He shatters our preconceived notion um, of who he is. If our preconceived notion is that Jesus is always simple and docile and gentle and kind and soft and soft-spoken, if that's what we think of him, this passage is going to take our little golden retriever Jesus and kind of transform him into a pit bull. All right? he, he absolutely goes off in this passage. He ramps up, he escalates, he verbally vomits, he's angry. He resorts to name-calling. Verse 40, you fools. Further, even 
In that culture, more astonishing than name-calling, he begins to deliver these woes against the Pharisees. So we only read the first of six in verse 42. But when you say, woe to you, to someone, you're expressing to them significant internal grief that you're experiencing about something going on in their life. But more than just a, um, um, a demonstration of internal grief, when, when you pronounce a woe on someone, you're denouncing them. In a sense, you're cursing them. And, and Jesus, uh, after saying woe to you in verse 42, 43, and 44, talking about three different areas of the Pharisees' lives, a lawyer stands up, and, and the lawyer who, who is related to the Pharisees is a part of the religious leadership in Jerusalem. He, he says, Jesus, you're not just insulting the Pharisees, you're insulting us. And Jesus does not say, oh, but I'm docile and sweet. I'd like to retract what I've said so that you don't call me one who insults others. He's like, if you're insulted, we're on the right track. Here's three more. Woe to you, 46. Woe to you, 47. Woe to you, 52. But what set him off? What pushed his proverbial button? Was it brazen and obvious rebellion? Was it permissive and liberal theology? Was it a secular worldview that was leading to promiscuity in the people? What set him off? Legalism and hypocrisy. More specifically, what got Jesus torqued is a legalistic and hypocritical leader in religion. What made him mad? Leaders who claimed to represent God and leaders who said they would take you to God who were legalistic and hypocritical. So we're going to ask Four questions. What is legalism? What is hypocrisy? Where can legalism and hypocrisy hide in us 2,000 years later? And how do legalism and hypocrisy decrease? Okay, so first, what is legalism? Look at, at verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So again, remember, these Pharisees are influential, powerful Jewish uh, religious leaders. And so Jesus has been ministering. He's been teaching. He's invited to dinner. End of verse 37. So he went in and reclined at table. Uh, verse 38 starts out literally this way. When the Pharisee saw it, when he saw that Jesus only came in and, and just sat down, it says, end of verse 38, he was astonished that Jesus didn't first wash before dinner. Okay, now listen, this has nothing to do with hygiene. This is a ritualistic, ceremonial washing. The ordinary word for wash is nowhere found in our text. The word uh, given as cleanse is the word baptize. Okay? Whenever the Pharisees went into their house from being in public, so whether they were whether they in the market or in the synagogue or the field, whenever they went into their house, especially to eat, they would cleanse or baptize their hands symbolizing that they were washing away the defilement of the Gentile world, washing away the sinfulness of the Gentile world, that, that sin was exterior to them. And, and so Jesus, worn out from travel and ministry, he just enters into this house. He just collapses at the table. He starts eating chips and salsa. He is not double dipping. Uh, he is just there, ready to get uh, some protein into his system. And the Pharisee is shocked, flabbergasted that Jesus didn't first wash, that he didn't first baptize before dinner. Why was the Pharisee so provoked by Jesus? I mean, the astonishment is just all over his face. What happened? Why? 
He's a legalist. He's a legalist. So stay with me for a minute. We're going to come back to this whole hand-washing thing, but just stay with me. It's a, a rabbit trail that's going to tie back in, in in a moment. You have to remember what we learned about the Pharisees a few sermons ago in, in Luke 7. The Pharisees believed that they could keep themselves clean from the defilement of Gentile sinners, and if they could obey the Old Testament law closely enough, and if they could get the common people in the land of Israel to obey the law closely enough, if they could do all of that, God would reward them. God would, God would send the Messiah to come and save them, to come and rescue them, to come and kick Rome out of Jerusalem, to come and establish an eternal kingdom. So, so legalism is this belief that my obedience to God's law brings salvation to me. But, but not only that, legalism is also this. It's adding details to God's law. Whenever you believe that God's law is too vague, you have to add details to it. If God's law isn't specific enough in a particular area of life, and if your salvation is based on obeying that law, then you're motivated to add all these particular details to the law to make sure that you keep the law. And so for the Pharisees and their predecessors, for example, they, they thought about the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment regarding the Sabbath. They felt like thought that God was a little too vague in that that they needed some more details. So over time, through case law, uh, the Pharisees and their predecessors created 200 detailed rules for what God really meant when God said, keep the Sabbath and don't work. Okay, so, so a legalist believes they're earning God's love. They believe they're earning God's deliverance. They believe through their external conformity to the law of God, that, that, that they're getting their way to heaven. And they put up these detailed fences and boundaries around God's law to make sure that no one even comes close to violating God's, God's law. But, but you have to remember, more than this, the Pharisees are leaders. And they have pushed their oral tradition. They have pushed their oral law. Jesus calls it their tradition in Mark 7. They have pushed this onto the common man. And, and, and they, they have threatened and have actually expelled Israelites from the community when Israelites didn't follow their rules about the laws. So go back to the hand baptizing scandal of 37 and 38. In Exodus 30... The law of God did tell Aaron and his sons, the priests, to wash their hands prior to approaching the altar to offer sacrifice to God. Okay, and so, so uh, other than that, there is no law in the Old Testament about hand washing. A couple of times in the details of a couple of stories, people wash their hands before they eat. And so what the Pharisees did is they took that one law and, and those simple stories, and over time, through their tradition, through their case law, through their oral law, they, they took that one law and they morphed it into everyone baptizing their hands, baptizing their cups, baptizing their dishes, baptizing the reclining couches on which they lay to eat. And so this ceremonial hand-washing, it's not in God's law, it's part of their rules, and the Pharisee is absolutely shocked that Jesus is not following his rule, that Jesus has come in and defiled his house. He's flabbergasted because in his mind, his salvation is based on him keeping the rules and on every Israelite, including Jesus, keeping the rules. And so this is what precedes Jesus going off in the next verse. It's a legalistic leader. Think about the ramifications of a leader who lives this way. One who believes and leads others to believe that they're only okay when they obey. One who adds detailed rules to God's law and forces those rules onto other people. 
One who says that they represent God and they promise access to God if you perform. He got provoked by legalism, but also by hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? Look at verse 39. And the Lord said to him, Okay, so Lord is emphatic. Luke wants you to know that Jesus, as God, is talking. He's making a declaration here. He says, now you Pharisees. All right, so this is, this is called escalation, okay? Jesus is going beyond one Pharisee. He's making a divine statement about all of the Pharisees in the room and, and about all the Pharisaic cultural practices in Israel. Look at what he says. You Pharisees. You cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. So Jesus uses this ritualistic uh, cleaning of hands and cups and dishes, and he uses it to transition into talking about the actual lives of the Pharisees. And he's basically saying, you're hypocrites. He's saying, you make the external of your life look dazzling and beautiful and clean. But look at what he says. He says, inside you're filled up with greed and wickedness. And so in Matthew 23, Jesus is at a different point and place in his story and life, but he is talking to Pharisees, he's talking about Pharisees, and he says very similar things to what he says in Luke 11. And in in Matthew 23, whenever Jesus gives one of our six woes, although the details are often different, uh, before he gives the woe, he, he calls the Pharisees outright hypocrites, fakes, people who wear masks, Leaders who present themselves externally as clean and holy, but who are internally full of filth. This is what he says, greed and wickedness. Greed, at the end of verse 39, it's it's, it's given as robbery in some of your translations. It's a word that talks about this internal love of money that would drive a person to pillage and plunder others. Wickedness is depravity, evil, malice. So so if you know your Bible, you know that what God actually commands in the Old Testament is summarized in this way, to love him and to love his goodness and to love others as well as yourself. And so Jesus is saying, he's saying that the Pharisees, he's like, I know what you present to the world through your teaching and through your rituals, but I can actually see into your heart and I can actually see your love of self and your love of wickedness. And so if you just read Luke, if you read the other Gospels, if you read historic accounts that we have of the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees loved money, and they would actually systematically oppress the poor. For example, in the temple, that's what's going on when Jesus cleanses it. That, that Luke tells us that they would devour widows' houses through injustice. And Jesus, verse 40, to the man washing his hands, you idiot, you nincompoop. You fool. If it was a fourth and fifth grade out of the service week, I would give you a few more names, much more similar to the Greek. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? So in other words, if you're going to try and impress God, if you're going to try and earn salvation and and earn righteousness, you need to keep in mind that God made you, he created you, he can see all of you. He is spirit and, and, and he sees the spiritual realities of you, not just the physical realities you present. He is spirit, he is everywhere, he sees everything you do even when you think you're alone. If you're going to keep the law, if you're going to earn the coming of your Messiah, if you're going to bring about your salvation, keep in mind that the law is summarized with love for God, that's the opposite of wickedness, and love for others, that's the opposite of greed. 
you idiots, baptizing your hands. And of course, we know legalism and hypocrisy, they work together. Jesus is saying, you know, don't don't make hundreds of detailed rules about external behavior and become so preoccupied and so exhausted with those rules that you lose sight and stop caring about uh, what's actually important, which is love. And he says, don't don't publicly hide behind your external uh, rituals and and conformity to your external uh, details. Don't get so preoccupied with externals that your your community can't get through those fences and boundaries and get into the real parts of who you are. In a moment, we're going to follow Jesus on this rant. We're going to consider one area he moves into regarding legalism and hypocrisy. I think it's going to be very pertinent to our lives. But before we do that, let me just humbly suggest, considering how ramped up Jesus gets about this, that we might want to spend some time today or this week reflecting over legalism and hypocrisy in our lives. Can I just give you a few questions? The goal is that we might repent and be very needy for the grace of God uh, in the life and death of Jesus. Just some questions. To what extent in our lives do we focus on external behavior instead of the heart? To what extent in our lives, in the lives of the people we lead, children, home group members, employees, etc., etc., to the extent that we have influence on people, do do we focus on conformity to the rules or do we focus on the heart? To what extent do we communicate to the people we lead, especially our children? To what extent do we communicate through our words and through our actions that they're okay when they obey? To what extent do we wear masks and project something we're not and present to the world this intentional farce because we're ashamed of how full of wickedness and greed we really are? And to what extent do we want the power and the position that we have so we're afraid to actually come out with what is inside of us? And Jesus is saying, you fool, God made the outside and the inside. Put your eyes on the one who matters. To what extent do the people we lead know of the greed and wickedness that is within us, that is there in all of us? Just some thoughts for reflection. Now, we could go a hundred different directions with this. But I want to get specific in one area. I want to talk about one area. I want to talk about where legalism and hypocrisy can hide in our lives. And I want to talk about money and giving. And I know what you're thinking. How bizarre and random. How cliche and typical of a pastor to want to talk about money at random times. And why in the world would you bring up giving now? Well, look at verses 41 and 42. This is what Jesus brings up. Further, as I actually thought about it this week, as I struggled with how to make the first part of this text applicable to us, I began to realize that Jesus is brilliant, that it's only in the realm of giving and tithing that you and I are going to be really guilty of legalism and hypocrisy. All right? So remember, legalism is not obeying God's law. It's not desiring to obey God's law. It's the scrupulous belief that I have to obey his law to be okay. Hypocrisy is this inordinate and this exclusive focus on what is external and visible to the exclusion of and to the diminishment of what is internal and important. Look at verse 42. Very next verse in our text. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and rue, and every herb. So so based on the Old Testament law, following the letter of the law, the Pharisees meticulously tithed on everything, even down to the herbs in their garden. 
Okay, so, so if they take 10 mint leaves uh, off the plant in order to, uh, to spice up their tea a little bit, they take one of the 10 and they send it to the temple. Okay, they're that meticulous. And, and this is actually exactly what the law of God requires in the Torah. If you, if you were to turn to Leviticus 27, you, you would see that God commands 10% of all income, all yield, and all growth. And he wants, he wants all of it sent to the priests. He says, I don't care if it's of the seed of the ground, the fruit of the plant, the increase of the flock. Anytime you prosper, send in a tithe. He teaches his people. He says, in response to my redeeming you, in my response to creating you, in my response to giving you the land, I want you to bring the tithe. I want you to bring the tithe, the tithe that's going to pay for the temple. And it's going to pay for the worship that happens in the temple. It's going to pay for the priests and the Levites to live. It's going to pay for the needs of the poor to be met through the Levites. That's what the Old Testament says. So the Pharisees are actually obeying the letter of the law. Their legalism was not the detailed way in which they tithed. Look at the end of verse 42. Jesus says there, these, talking about tithing on those three small realities, these you ought to have done. Legalism is not obeying God's law or encouraging others to do so. Legalism is obeying God's law, uh, the letter of the law, while ignoring the heart that the law points to. Verse 42. For you tithe on everything and neglect justice. That's caring for and serving the oppressed. You neglect justice and the love of God. These, talking about tithing, you ought to have done without neglecting the others. In other words, Jesus is saying, in tithing, God wants the external reality to flow from and bear witness to an internal reality. They were following the letter of the law. They were obliterating the spirit of the law. Especially in Deuteronomy 14, the Old Testament law teaches this about tithing. That when we tithe, which is biblical, we're saying with our tithe that our hearts care about the poor. That our hearts value and love justice and mercy. That our hearts are filled up with the love of God. Giving a tenth meticulously is an expression. It's an external expression in the best sense of the word of an internal reality. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and maybe us, you hypocrites. You ritualistically and mindlessly bring your tithe to me, but your heart is far from me. Your heart is greedy. It is not in love with justice. Your heart is proud and judgmental. It is not enamored with mercy. If you look at verse 41, this is why Jesus says, give as alms. That's the word for charity and mercy. Those things that are within you, in your heart. And then he says, behold, everything is clean for you. So in other words, the giving of your tithe is only part of the equation. And at best, it's a physical expression of the fact that you've already given yourself and you've already given your heart to God and to the poor. We are like the Pharisees, legalistic and hypocritical in our giving to the extent that we ritualistically and automatically give money, but not our hearts and our lives. When we say, oh, I'm busy. God has gifted me to make money. I'm not the kind of guy who goes and serves and builds relationships with the poor, the oppressed, and the needy. I'm the kind of guy who makes money. 
And as long as my money's doing all right, I give my money to the organizations who take care of the poor, the oppressed, and the needy. And Jesus says, legalism, hypocrisy, to give from your pocketbook, that's external performance, but not to give from within compassion and mercy and justice and the love of God from your heart. Woe to us, hypocrites. Cleansing the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside is full of greed and wickedness. Again, legalism is not the act of tithing. Some, some teach and some think, oh, tithing's Old Testament. That's so legalistic. It's, it's so not Christian. It's so immature. I think when Jesus validates something, you should probably not say that about that something. That's just a general sense I get. Legalism is not the act of tithing. Legalism is tithing and not serving. Hypocrisy is not the act of tithing. Hypocrisy is tithing as though our hearts are given as alms when they're not. Hypocrisy is tithing and at the same time not repenting for greed and wickedness that is within all of us. Do you see the flow of this passage? The Pharisee is shocked that Jesus won't follow his rules about the laws. And so then Jesus gets angry over the Pharisees' legalism and hypocrisy regarding God's laws. And the first place Jesus goes to to make application about hypocrisy and legalism is giving and tithing. And so the next question becomes, where are we at in our giving? Some of us just need to grapple with the fact that Jesus validates tithing. We need to repent for not tithing, for for not even entering into the baseline of Christian giving. Some, some of us need to think long and hard about how perfunctory uh, and how um, um, ritualistic our giving has become. We, we need to repent for giving externally as if everything internally were lining up with that reality. We need to repent for not repenting of greed and wickedness when we give. Um, our, our repentance does not look like not giving. Our repentance looks like giving more of ourselves more of what's inside to line up with what we're saying on the outside. We need to repent about how external our electric funds transfers have become. Just not even touching the heart. Jesus is saying in verse 41, give as alms, give, give what is inside as mercy and compassion and behold, everything will be clean for you, both the outside and the inside of the dish that is you. Finally, how do legalism and hypocrisy decrease? So we had two fairly theoretical points. We had one particularly uh, poignant point. uh, And now we're going to spend some time thinking about the gospel. How does legalism and how does hypocrisy decrease? Or if you want to say it differently, how does mercy and justice and love increase in our hearts? That's what's supposed to flow out of us. Mercy is this, helping others not be crushed by the consequences of their sin. Justice is this, caring for and helping others who are oppressed by external realities. Love is this, sacrificially giving ourselves to the needs of others. How do these three come about inside of us that we might give them as alms to others, matching our external giving? You have to go all the way back to the beginning. Think with me. Legalism leads to hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is fleshed out in our giving. 
If we want to change the heart of our giving, we have to deal with our hypocrisy. And if we want to deal with our hypocrisy, we have to deal with our legalism. If we're going to address and decrease our legalism, we have to increasingly hear and believe and experience the gospel. A few weeks ago, I was going out to mow the yard. And I got the mower out, and I tried to crank it up. And my very reliable mower was struggling and sputtering and pouring out all kinds of smoke. And once it finally turned over, I mean, it was just this black, black cloud covering uh, my backyard. To make the story as short as possible, the previous weekend I was out of town. And uh, my wife and my kids graciously and kindly mowed and bagged the yard. They pulled the weeds and gathered the sticks. They used the blower to, drive, to, to clear off the driveway and the front entrance. And so while mowing, the mower runs out of gas. And my amazing wife uh, goes into the garage and she grabs a container of gas. And she fills it up to the rim. But unfortunately, there are two containers of gas in the garage. Not her fault. Trisha grabbed the wrong one. A long time ago, the two cans were labeled gas and gas with oil. But now, as time has passed, you can't tell what they say. You can't, there's nothing on them at all anymore. And only I, by a few nicks here and there, know which is gas and know which is gas and oil, okay? And so Trisha innocently puts the gas-oil mix into the mower. Here's the illustration. Smoke is billowing out of the mower. How do I address that issue? If I spend time on the exhaust mechanism, I'm wasting my time. If I spend time on the gas tank within the mower, I'm wasting my time. I have to go all the way back to what was poured into the mower and remedy the situation from there. So with our giving, we can't ultimately tell ourselves, I've got to be more merciful and I've got to be more loving. We can't ultimately tell ourselves, stop being hypocritical. That does not go back far enough. We have to deal with our legalism by increasingly crushing it with the gospel. In our story in Luke 11, Jesus has had enough of the Pharisees. 30 plus years. It's not just this one interaction with this one guy. 30 years and Jesus is done. In Luke, this is a pivot point. From here forward, the Pharisees are not trying to figure him out anymore. They're not trying to figure out if he would come and be on their team. They're done with him. They're like, that's it. End of the chapter, verse 11, you can see. They're like, let's trap him and let's dispense of him. He insults us. He won't fall in line with us. We're done with him. And so if you know the story of the Bible, the the religious leaders of Israel eventually get Rome to arrest him, to unjustly convict him, to beat him, to mock him, to mercilessly crucify the one who stood up for people in need. That's how it plays out from a human angle. But from the perspective of God, the ultimate perspective, Jesus comes and he gives his life for us. He willingly dies in our place. His insults to the Pharisees are the means by which he is crucified. It's the means by which he gets to his ends. And his ends are this, to give us mercy from God as the one slaughtered in our place to free us from what enslaves and oppresses us by the power of his spirit, to give sacrificial love to us when we deserve to die. That's the gospel. If you're new to the Bible, the actual message of the Bible is not you're okay when you obey. The message of the Bible is you're okay. You're loved, you're approved, you're enjoyed because the one who obeyed died in our place. And gave us his place and his record and his righteousness. We're okay in him. 
When we begin to soak that in, our legalism decreases because it's not us earning anything anymore. When our legalism decreases, uh, um, hypocrisy also decreases. And when hypocrisy decreases, we can actually come out and say, you know what? I'm greedy and wicked on the inside. Help me. And when when we come out and say, I'm greedy and wicked on the inside, help me. God's mercy and God's deliverance and God's love is poured into us by the gospel and the Holy Spirit and then filled up with those realities. It is only natural to dispense mercy, justice, and love. Therefore, making our tithing honest. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these passages that are hard to hear. We thank you for the tone of these passages. We thank you for how sobering they are and how good for us. God, I know that these passages, because your word says these passages will either harden our hearts or they will soften us. I beg you, soften us by your gospel. May we be sobered by how much of a mess we've made with our lives. May we be just ecstatic about what you have done for us in the gospel and what you will make of us. Jesus, please send your Holy Spirit. Where we need to be convicted, convict us. Where we need to be comforted, comfort us. Where we need to be renewed, renew us. Where we need to see, give us sight. Where we need to hear, let us hear. God, we pray that you take this word and you would plant it deep into our hearts and you would not uh, allow Satan to come and pluck it out. You would not allow the love of this world in our heart to choke it out, that you would make this seed, you would plant it and, and you would cause it to grow and you would fertilize it and you would bear much fruit through it. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us individually where we need in this community.